Hey, hello, howdy, welcome back. Uh, it's another episode of QBT, a podcast where two queer babes talk about mental health, pop culture, and whatever the hell else we want. I'm Shawnee, a former New York City-based therapist turned media and entertainment badass who needs to learn to sit down somewhere because uh, I've been doing a lot this week. Uh, but this week, we continue our theme on families and attachment as well as trauma, not with one, but two very special guests to the podcast. First up, we have our producer, editor, and friend, Ali Kiltz, who's going to help me co-host as a fellow queer babe. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? Good. It's been so, I'm like really having to train myself to like verbalize laughter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just used to being behind the camera. <laughs> I know you're usually like lurking in the background and our listeners don't get to hear from you, but it's happening this episode. I hope <laughs> y'all are ready because Maddie decided to go live their best life in Mexico. Um, uh, you know, which you like I in. am very happy about. I'm very happy and super jealous. I want to go to Mexico. <laughs> um, we're going to be joined this week by um, returning friend of the podcast, Lucia Bennett, um, who is a licensed professional counselor to talk a little bit about uh, what it's meant to start a new family. She welcomed a baby boy recently. So um, she's going to share some of her thoughts, some of that experience with us. Um, are you ready to do this thing, Allie? I sure am. All right. We're going to do it. And should we do the thing that me and Maddie try to do every single week? Yeah, I'm going to try <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Three, two, one. We, we might, might be, be therapists, therapists. But we're, but we're not, not your, your therapist. therapist. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. Okay. Okay. I feel kind of weird saying that I might be a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Trying to talk slick. All up in my ear and shit. <laughs> wow, this is kind of cool. We we never do this. And we definitely don't do this like on microphone, but I'm happy oh, to know. like have you as my co-host. I don't know. It's I weird. should get used to it. I'm gonna it's be gonna I'm be gonna really be near you very soon. You just like eliminate you take out your like all of your talking parts and it's just me talking <laughs> yeah. to like, like silence. We'll just, mute, we'll just mute that track. <laughs> um well some interesting news happened um and this is my slut slut for the week do you know anything about the britney spears conservatorship i mean yes and no i feel like (laughs) there's so much to know yeah so many levels to it but i mean i have watched a handful of the documentaries (laughs) <laughs> yeah i need to watch the one that's on there's one on hbo max i think i haven't watched I, like, that one have i have no idea what i've even Brittany watched like i feel like it's like when the fire uh fire fire fest like there's so many documentaries that came out i'm oh, like i don't know which one i yeah. watched but i am informed to some degree <laughs> i'm informed i know what's happening from a very very yeah, high, level. high level um the details not so much conservatorship so i'm ready for this conversation <laughs> some people are the way that they act um <laughs> well you know it ended yeah! congrats exciting news after 13 years britney spears is no longer in a conservatorship which means that she is in control of her finances for the first time since i think she was 26 or something like that something like that um, yeah 
Yeah, maybe even younger, but regardless, that is a grown ass woman who, who should have control over her funds, and I'm happy that this she this she, this she does. Um, yeah, I just don't know what to expect. You know, I think that yeah. I'm like I'm a little scared of the backlash, but at the same time, mm. I'm like, can we please not give her backlash? Can we give her some grace? Because like, if anything, the documentaries have just shown how just critical people were of her and not other people you know men usually mm -hmm. in her similar situation um so i'm like a little and only scared contributed of, like, to it just because you know so much of what's i mean they were keeping her on medications that against her will and like what's it gonna be like if when she's off those you know it like there's an adjustment period right yeah I mean, and to be that contained for so long. I know. And I mean, hopefully she is surrounded by people that love and care for her in a non-financial way that can, you know, like the way I would look at it, if it was, if I was best friends with Britney Spears, <laughs> um, I would be like, hey girl, hey, let's just, let's have you adjust. Let's just sit down. Let's be chill for a little bit. Like, let's maybe not be on social. Let's just not do anything. Let's like I not know. do anything. Maybe a social detox would be good. <laughs> yeah. For just like, for like a year. Let's let this thing happen. Let's like for a year, just do, and then she, like, let's do what you want to like do. And she's like And yeah. she's like, I'm back. I'm pregnant. Whatever she wants. I know she wants kids. Whatever she so wants. Whatever she if wants. I know. And like, I know. Let us, she needs a good, she needs a good PR person. She needs somebody that's going to like protect her at all costs. And like, if anything does go down in the future, not let what happened the first time, like deflect that shit and put it back on the people that did it. Like, yeah. we all know her dad, like men, her dad, fucking Justin Timberlake, fucking Perez mm -hmm. Hilton, like those threats still exist in 2021 in a different form, you know, right. it's. I don't know. I feel like I work in media and entertainment. It's always just like, you just have to spin that shit the other way. Like, right. and I hope she has somebody on her team that's doing that. And it's not just, nope, this is all Britney Spears' fault because it's not. Yeah. And it never was. No. Um, yeah. It's, and I, it's very exciting and very scary all at the same time. And I mean, I think part of that, just what's scary about it is the fact that it could even happen in the first place to mm -hmm. someone in the spotlight mm -hmm. like that. It's just, <sighs> But yeah, it's over with. It's over with. Hopefully, this has implications, and you know, shit like this doesn't happen too much more <laughs> in the future. Jesus, um, I know, right? I know. I mean, I wonder what music we're getting, but also, I like I said, I'm like, girl, we don't need to worry about that right now. The music will come when the music comes. You know, I think like, she give me... said she has no desire. We'll see, because also, it pays yeah, the bills. She hasn't had a lot of freedom in the first place, so who knows what her expression True. will look like. Yo, it'd be really cool if she just like went a completely different direction. Like, yeah, she's like, my entire life, I wanted to be like a firefighter. <laughs> it's a firefighter. I don't know. Like, I would love that. That would make me really happy. Like, she's just oh. something that's not music related or like related to entertainment at all. She yeah. opens like a nursery or something. Yeah. Or who knows? Yeah. I mean, she loves to dance. Maybe she wants a dance studio. A dance studio. Oh my God, I'd love so that. Cute. Wouldn't it? Ah! And then, but then it like turns into like a reality show, like Dance Moms, but like with Britney Spears. Oh, 
<laughs> no, no. That's too much. That's too much. X that idea. Don't do that. Um, but you know what a great idea is for us to interview our guest that's coming up. Um, as I mentioned, we have Lucia Bennett, who's going to be joining us to do some work in just a little bit. Licensed professional counselor, also uh, at Somatic Therapist on Instagram. She is here to talk to us a little bit about motherhood, about queer parenthood, um, about being a somatic therapist and all that jazz. So stick with us and let's do it. Welcome back. We are here to do some work. I hope y'all are ready um, because I'm super excited to have our guest back on the podcast, uh, licensed professional counselor, Lucia Bennett, um, also at The Somatic Therapist on Instagram. Welcome back. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm pretty good today. Doing good. T- today. Well, you know what? That's what we'll today. take. We'll take today. Yeah. We go on a day-by-day bo- basis. That's like pand- pandemic living. <laughs> I feel like that plus, I mean, pandemic living, we've all been doing that. I also wake up every day just like, what's happening? What am I supposed to accomplish? Like, okay, cool. Yeah. What day is it? <laughs> and I mean, you also, you have a new baby. Yeah. So there's that too. That definitely I have no idea what day it is most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> is it day? Is it night? I yeah. know nothing of that. Um, we'll dig into it. We'll dig into it as we get into the work. But um, we'll start off with what we start every episode off with an interview. Um, remind us of who you are and what identities you hold. Yeah. So I'm Lucia Bennett. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um licensed professional counselor, as you said, that that always sounds so like, "Mm, (laughs) was the licensed professional counselor? I don't know. Um, But I am licensed. Yes. Um, And I specialize in somatic counseling, um, which basically just means that I focus on the body as a therapist. Um, I do a lot of work with trauma, a lot of work with like the nervous system and neuroscience and um, movement as well. I'm a uh, registered dance movement therapist. Um, so just all things body-based. So what came first? Um, it was all sort of together. So my program, um, is kind of like an umbrella somatic therapy program. And then within that program, you can kind of specialize. Um, and so I specialized in dance movement therapy and body psychotherapy, which is essentially just like, trauma, pretty much like learning about trauma and the body and the brain and like all this cool neuroscience stuff that I love to nerd out about. Um, But as a therapist um, in private practice, I specialize in eating disorders, queer stuff, um, and somatic stuff. So those are like my three things that I love to work with the most. So, Lucia, you talked a bit about, um, you told us what the somatic uh, orientation is, what it's about. I mean, what does that look like when it comes to helping people heal from trauma or at least understand that trauma? I'm really interested in what that connection looks like. Yeah. Um, A lot of times we start with 
doing some education around the nervous system because, and like how it works and what's happening in their bodies. Because so often people, especially folks with trauma will blame themselves or, or they'll be like, God, I'm overreacting or why can't I just get over this or whatever. Um, and so it's really helpful to explain, Hey, you're not overreacting. This isn't, this isn't just like something that you're doing. Like your body is perceiving danger for some reason. And it like kind of doesn't matter because your body is in a state of perceiving danger. And so that's what we need to work with um, rather than like the story that you have about what's going on. And, and usually they're really hard on themselves around that. Um, so it can help kind of take that edge off, like that's that critic part to be like, no, this is just your body's normal response to something feeling unsafe. And we don't get to decide like what feels safe or not safe in our heads. Like that's mm -hmm. our body decides that. Huh. I, this all feels really timely because literally last night I, okay. So I, <clears throat> I have been prone to having panic attacks in my like past and I haven't had one in like a really long time. Like it's been a couple of years. And last night I had one. I like, I don't, it came out of nowhere. I was, hanging out with my friend on her couch just like watching tv mm. and my heart started palpitating like i suddenly felt like i couldn't breathe like the room got really hot um and i like i did a lot of deep breathing i didn't even say anything to her at one point because i was just like no 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 i then i can push through this and then it was just like no i can't actually i'm actually really scared right now um and she was like, do I need to call 911? I was like, I'm pretty sure this is just a panic attack. I just need to like breathe through the entire thing. And that happened. There's no question attached to that. I'm just sharing because it felt <laughs> timely and I haven't talked about it since it happened last night. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were my client, I would, I would like back up and examine like what, what else is going on in the environment? Like, other kind of micro things that maybe your body was picking up on or yeah, just all anything else that might've been going on for you. We would unpack that and look at like what was making your body feel unsafe. What was your body picking up on that your brain maybe mm. wasn't registering? Mm. That's a good approach. Cause I definitely didn't do that. I was just trying to get through the moment. Yeah, <laughs> but like that's what I feel like need to do in the you moment. Have to do, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But yeah. like if you want to like unpack it, that's when we can go back and and kind of zoom out and zoom in at the same time. Hmm. Okay. When yeah. you're when you're working with patients that experience something similar to me, have you found that I guess the basis for that, the foundation, the cause of it, um, which I sometimes there is no one singular cause of these things, right? Um, you know, do they do they tend to be things associated? I'm just going to go on a wild limb here with yeah. childhood development and sort of maybe family or things that happen like in your adolescence. Um, that's a huge part of it. So a big part of my work is looking at. Um, attachment. And so, and looking specifically at attachment trauma as well, like 
that's often where we need to go to when people get triggered, when their body is picking up something unsafe in the environment. It's because it reminds them of something that was unsafe when they were little. And when they were little, they were actually legitimately unsafe because little kids can't fend for themselves, right? Like if they, if their caregiver is doing something or like gone or whatever, like they could actually die. And Mm. so, um, you know, like if you don't know if your parent is coming back or if your parent isn't, is being mean to you or something like that, it, it is actually super traumatic for a little kid. So, um, that is often a big part of the work that I do is like tracing it back to. So often I'll ask people, um, like if it feels familiar to them and then they'll Mm. have like a memory of when they were younger or, um, like if there's an age that the, that the feeling is associated with is another way we kind of look at like, where did this come from? Well, I'm just going to make the direct connection here and link as a as a new parent is this something that you <clears throat> I mean I'll even widen it a bit I feel like something that we see in a lot of television shows that I've seen in a lot of TV something that even when I consider having a child at some point like having this therapist background understanding mental health sort of understanding um what one labels as trauma or as something that you know could happen in the, at the earliest stages of childhood development and the impacts that it has on you as an adult is that something that you find yourself beholden to like do you try to like not wear that hat when it comes you know to the new son that you have i feel like he's only 4 months right yeah well yeah. he's not even 4 months he's oh, going to wow. be 4 months on the 19th but, okay yeah but a lot of, you know, brain development, a lot of things are happening now, even this early, that are probably going to stick Absolutely. around. Yeah. Is that stressful? I don't know. Like, I I just kind of want to pick your brain as a parent. Is it, like, good that you'd know more? Or would you rather be blind <laughs> to yeah. know what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm really glad I know. <laughs> because part of what I know is that if I just allow myself to follow my instincts. Like that's a huge part of it. Like so much of what I've learned about parenting is like we as specifically white Western, whatever, I'm just going to blame like the cis hetero patriarchy, white supremacist machine. <laughs> like always we, do that. we yeah, always, always place the blame there. <laughs> um, but we, Actually, it has literally been white men who came up with this idea that like we need to, our babies need to be independent. And so there, we were like sleeping separately from our babies for a while, like in the fifties and sixties and like all this stuff to create independence in your baby is like so biologically backwards from what the baby actually needs and like what um, primary caregivers were like naturally doing. And so I don't don't know, I could go on like a huge rant about this because it makes me really angry, like tracing the history of how like basically white men came in and said like, "Mm, no, the way that like primary caregivers, primarily women are doing this, like we want to just interfere and like fuck it up a little bit and say that like babies need to be independent and they need to sleep in a crib in a separate room and like 
all of this stuff. So it like departed moms and babies from Mm -hmm. their instincts. And so a big thing for me is just is trying to stay embodied and trying to stay present with myself and present with my baby and, and like trust my body to know what it, what my baby needs and what I need to do next. So I feel like if I, if I didn't know like the neuroscience and, um, all of that stuff, (laughs) I guess I, I, um, I would be more likely to fall into the trap of like listening to the white male pediatrician who says like your baby must sleep like this and it must be blah, blah, blah. And only feed them this many times a day instead of just being like, no, fuck that. Like I'm going to listen to my body. I'm going to listen to my baby. And that's how I create secure attachment is by responding to his needs. Wow. I mean, you just talking about that as a cisgender like male, I, I mean, I was pissed just now that like, in what world does like any man feel like they can tell any woman like how to raise a child? I have no idea what that connection (laughs) feels like. I mean, even if I have a kid, I'm not going to know. I physically don't have to like hold that child with me, um, like in my body. Um, So yeah, I feel like, I don't know. Don't also, I said this earlier. Don't feel like if you need to run to go check on that baby in the middle of this interview, go do it. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like by all means. Well, what are some of the what are some of the things that I guess, you know, just on the spot here are like lookouts for you? Like what are maybe some some stages of adolescence or like phases and what are you sort of paying attention to? Like, I mean, we can start now and say, you know, with with him maybe not being four months old, what are some things that you're maybe paying attention to with what you're at least instilling or not wanting to instill? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about attachment theory and attachment and just, I mean, already as a person, I thought about that a lot as a therapist, I thought about that a lot. And now it's even more intense Um, now that I have him. So what I'm trying to instill in him now is this like unconditional positive regard basically is like, um, that's a super therapisty term. Um, but, but basically to, to constantly be showing him that he's like the light of my life, right? Like he's, that's always going to be when he looks at my face, like I want him to always see that that he, um, because, because babies see themselves reflected in their caregivers. So if their caregivers are reflecting back to them, like warmth and delight and joy in their presence, then, um, that, that's my goal because I want him to feel ultimately like no matter what there is that warmth and delight and joy, um, in who he is. And I know I can't always, like when he gets older, of course, it's going to get more complicated, but that's the foundation that I, I hope for. And I hope that he can always like see that reflected in me when I interact with him, even when he's sad, even when he's like screaming because his teeth hurt or his <laughs> non-formed teeth. <laughs> I, Allie, I was saying um, to Shawnee that he's like teething early. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's intense. <laughs> so even in yeah. those moments, I want him to, to feel like reflected back in me. Yeah. It's so interesting um, because I, I flew recently and I was on a plane and there was a baby across the way and I'm wearing my mask, but I'm smiling at this baby because it's like so cute. And it's, it can tell. Like the baby's like yeah. smiling at me. I'm like, you can't even see my mouth, <laughs> but you mm-hmm. just are like picking up on my energy. And it actually yep. went twice, like on two different plane rides. I was like, how does this baby know I'm smiling at it? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. their whole orientation is like micro focused on human faces. Wow. And like, cause that's what makes, that's what, um, helps them feel safe in the world or like literally create safety for them. They have to be cute and smiley. So we want to take care of them. Otherwise they would die. <laughs> oh <laughs> right? my God. So I should stop frowning at babies and like pushing them away from me. <laughs> yes. Come on, Shawnee. <laughs> Don't be a Grinch. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's like, I secretly love kids, but like, you know what? This is part of the like box of masculinity that I'm always like, pushing myself against them. I'm just like, oh, but I feel like as a guy, I'm not supposed to be like super babies. Like, oh, I love babies. But I don't know. They make me happy too. You see a smiling baby. Of course, you're going to want to smile back. But I'm just yeah. like, no, you don't get this smile from me, child. <laughs> <laughs> I found a lot of joy because like I don't have any intention of ever having a baby. But like because I know that, I'm like, I love being in the presence of babies because I just like cherish it. So yeah. it's like, it's because I think for so long when I was younger, I was like so put off by babies, but I think that's just because I never wanted one. And I kept, people were so mad at me whenever I'd be like, I don't like babies. <laughs> um, and so I like, I think it like really affected me. And then I finally was like, wait, this is bullshit. Babies are so cute. I'm just not going to have them for myself, but I'll be here for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of, speaking of being there for them, you, Usia, are fortunate to have a partner that is helping you raise this beautiful baby, this beautiful son. What does y'all's journey look like? I mean, as queer parents, as, I mean, first time having kids, right, together. Um, what does that look like? Oh, it's been a long journey. Um, I think we started, like, actively trying to get pregnant um in like January yeah January before the pandemic um we had initially wanted to do something called reciprocal IVF which is where in partnerships where they're um both partners have eggs um one you you basically are taking the egg from one partner making an embryo and the other partner's carrying so that it's like we wanted to do that because it's like the way that both of us could biologically contribute my wife through an egg and me through epigenetics because I would carry um, that didn't end up working out for us. Um, so we had to like shift gears and we ended up doing <clears throat> so that was happening in January 2020. Then we ended up doing um, something called an IUI, which is an intrauterine insemination. Um, through, uh, and yeah, we worked with a fertility clinic and a sperm bank and all of that. So everything was like really medicalized, which Mm. 
I didn't like, I didn't necessarily think that much about. Obviously with reciprocal IVF, that was what we had initially wanted. That was obviously going to have to be like really medicalized. Um, but if we had known we were going to do IUIs, we, I think we maybe would have done something a little bit less medical because the, um, I don't know, the fertility clinic route was just like super, yeah, just super medicalized, super focused on straight couple couples with infertility issues. So we were like really in this world of like heteros who are struggling to have a baby. And like, it just felt like so weird because we were not, none of those things. <laughs> right. Um, like I didn't have infertility issues. I went, but yet like, so I still had to follow the same protocols. Um, I, I like, yeah. Huh. Even though I didn't have infertility issues, it's just like, that's how the clinic did things. That's yeah. how they set up. That's, yeah, that's how they were set up. That one size fits all. Like, it's <clears throat> wild that that happens across the, like, I we've talked about it on the podcast when it comes to therapy, but like, even in like a medical trying to have a child, which I mean, every human body is so specific. Why would you not? <laughs> Again, mind blown <laughs> yeah. about something that I would never have to think about. Yeah, it seems like it's such a huge like waste of time and resources and money to just follow this protocol. Yeah, it it was all ultimately, or at least this is what I think. I think I'm probably not that far off base, but like the clinic wanted to have good numbers to be like, mm. look at how many pregnancies we have, you know. So even if like I was fine. My egg count was fine. My whatever's they were like, no, we're going to give you these hormones because, um, we want to make sure you get pregnant so that we look good basically. Right. <laughs> so That's capitalism, so cool. you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh when you open your eyes to capitalism, I was literally on don't, don't like reprimand me. I was on Amazon earlier and they there's a checkbox like the filters you can put through there's one that was like climate pledge committed like i guess brands or companies and i thought that whatever cap 26 that's what it was called right that thing happened or cop 26 happened like a week ago if that and like already you want me to give my money to brands because of it like yeah. <laughs> for something that they haven't even like actually committed to yet whatever it's just Wow, we need to do a, a a series on capitalism and its impacts on our mental health because it's happening <laughs> oh, constantly. <laughs> oh man, yeah. <laughs> um, beyond, I mean, that sounds like a headache and then some when it comes to just trying to have a child. Um, I mean, after birth, though, has there? What does the world feel like as a queer parent now? Like, you know, after now bringing this child into the world, were you the one that uh, conceived or? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I carried him and birthed him. Um, obviously, if I carried him, I birthed him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening Just... in the medical field these days. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, true, true, true. Um, yeah, I, at first, what? when I was like, my first reaction to that question is 
is to be like, you know what? We're really lucky. Like we, I feel like, um, you know, we live in Denver. It's, it's pretty queer. It's pretty young. It's pretty liberal. Um, all our, most of, yeah, pretty much all our friends are queer. Um, we have other examples of queer parents. We have other friends with kids, like other. So I feel this sense of community and um, being held in in being a queer parent. And at the same time, if I zoom out, um, there's just this. There's still this constant sense of every system that we go into, like whether it's the hospital that he was born in, whether it's the fertility clinic he was conceived at, um, or like the pediatrician, like everything is set up for straight families. And so there are, so there's that kind of sense of a a microaggression, you know, like an environmental, a constant environmental microaggression that like, I'm in a space that's not set up for me. And I can kind of feel that energetically always. Um, But then there are things like hospital forms, or like, the fact that so that was one thing the birth the birth certificate form there was nothing you couldn't it wasn't like parent one and parent two it was mother and father and so my wife with like tears in her eyes is crossing out father and writing mother and like you know this is we haven't slept in like 3 days we're both like super emotional and upset And we're like, what the fuck is going to be on his birth certificate? Is it going to say father? Like, what the hell? Um, And then finally, we like asked a nurse and we were like, what is up with this form? Like, like, how do we change this? And they had given us an outdated form. And so like crisis averted. (laughs) Okay. She was like, oh, this form is from 2019. You need the 2021 form. I'm like, okay, but still from 2019, like, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's so like that long. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, like, could we have updated that like 20 years ago? But um, yeah. And then like our insurance fucked everything up because they could not, we had, my wife had to call them three different times because they had, they couldn't understand that there were two moms. And so they had like messed everything up and we were getting charged like so much money for it's just, so it's stuff like that, that like people just don't understand systems aren't set up to like, you know, quote unquote accommodate us. And so that's kind of where I feel um, like I, I don't know, like I stand out or I feel the impact of being queer is like trying to navigate the systems. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, you think about the stigma culturally, but you don't think about it structurally, like you're explaining. And that's deeply frustrating because it's like so much more embedded than anyone probably really thinks about until they're in that moment. Because so Mm -hmm. much I feel like of having a kid and raising kids is like, you just are learning as you go. So it's like, how do you know to anticipate? That's so frustrating. Yeah. Luckily, interpersonally, we haven't experienced any, you know, like people haven't been rude to us or like been like, your kid doesn't have a dad. He's going to be so fucked up or, you know, like what (laughs) that's like the stuff (laughs) I've been terrified of that that (laughs) hasn't happened yet. But yeah, it's more like, 
the things like insurance and different like forms and mm. stuff like that, that just are still stuck in like the nineties. <laughs> it's weird. I like parallel. Cause I can, I can relate anything to race y'all anything, yeah. but like <clears throat> a parallel is, I mean, I distinctly remember like coming home to my mother the first time that I was called uh, the N word and not by somebody black. And she was like, oh, I didn't think I had to have the com- this conversation with you yet. Like the yet that's there mm-hmm. is what stood out yeah. to me in that is because it's one of those things that you have to expect, right? Like as a new, I assume as a new parent, it's like, these are the things that are probably going to happen to this child that I have to sort of anticipate for. And how am I going to tackle this subject with them? And I mean, one of them is more than likely going to be having uh, two moms or, you know, having two queer parents um, and what he's hearing, what they're hearing at school and beyond that. So, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And also like, how are you going to tell, how are you going to tell your kid how he was made? (laughs) You know, like that's, that's another thing that we, we're already preparing for. Like mm-hmm. we already have books. We already have resources around all of this stuff because yeah, we're going to have to have that conversation pretty early on. Ooh. Which is almost so frustrating. Cause it's like, it not, I don't even think we get that conversation for when like a man and a woman have a baby it's just no. like they came together and they had a baby like, they had a yeah, special hug like, go into so much detail yeah well yeah. how yeah <laughs> i mean for my own knowledge i almost was just like okay you're saying medicalized like does that just mean there were a lot of like tests and stuff you had to do like was there a lot of procedure yeah. and all that good stuff but i mean it's just it's it's wild that, yeah, we don't have to ask this stuff of two straight people. It's just like, yeah, the baby happened. It just appeared. Nobody tends to care about the story behind that, you know? Yeah. And the other thing that that happened to us, like, it while I was pregnant is people would be super – people either wouldn't ask us any questions at all or they would be super invasive uh, with their questions. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well – um, God, I can't remember. My wife was like getting a massage and the entire time the massage therapist was like asking for specific details of how I got pregnant and whose like sperm we were using and what like just all of this stuff that I'm like, would you ask a straight couple that? Like, are you going to be like, when was the last time you had sex in order to try to conceive a child? And like when, you know, like fuck off lady it's just it's so people feel like if something's not their norm that they can just like ask all of these really invasive questions oh it's not it's like it's not surprising though it is because i it happens i mean as a just single person without a child. I feel like I get face of questions from straight people that are just like, well, are you the bottom or the top? And it's like, why do right. you need to know that? Right. Does that are inform you any part of your life? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, if you're asking me that about how like you're conceiving a child, it's like, what? Like, if you need to know because like you're straight and are having fertility issues, cool. And like went to that right. clinic, 
fine. But like outside of that, I don't understand. Like, what is the what's what are you trying to get at here? Which is just nosiness at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's another it's another one of those like signifiers. Like I'm different. I that's like another place where I feel my queerness as mm. a parent when stuff like that happens. Are you planning on sending this child to private school or public school? <laughs> <laughs> I ask because I'm just like, I'm thinking of private school moms being like, oh, did you hear about? And in public school, nobody cares, literally. <laughs> well, my um, my wife works for the teachers union, so we are for sure doing public. Okay. Hell yeah. I'm a product of public school. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> I advocate for it. Um, well, you talked a little bit about, you know, the current, I don't want to call it stigma. It's, it sounds more like just people not being educated and not, I don't know, not knowing what's up in today, 2021. Are there any sort of fears like for the future i mean you mentioned a little bit about <clears throat> you know nothing's been said yet about oh you have two uh of the same quote-unquote gendered like parents but is there anything else beyond that um and this is also just like purely personal because i think maybe i'll have a kid one day but i think that question that first one is the one that comes to mind most but maybe i'm like missing something <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a big one that I worry about. Like, mostly I worry about him getting asked that question or getting teased or something like that in school. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, like you said, the question of yet, you know, like, it's gonna happen. I know it's gonna happen at some point. And so I'm sort of bracing myself for it. And again, trying to just load him up with all of the positive regard and like um, helping him hopefully feel so loved and so secure in his family and in our like extended queer family that he will be resilient and able to, I don't know, kind of like, yeah, I guess just be resilient against those kinds of comments and not let them like puncture his soul. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's resilience is the name of the game. I feel like in this human life, I keep coming back to that (laughs) is resilience, you know? And it's scary because so much of it is out of your control, which I'm sure is like, so it's like an even harder pill to swallow as a parent. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I think, I mean, it sounds like you have like a really good community of support around you and like give good examples. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's another place where I feel so lucky is that we do have other um, queer families who he can have as an example um, as he's growing up. So um Two of our really close friends just had a baby like a little less than a year and a half ago. Um, They're a queer family. Um, And my sister is also gay. And so she has two kids um, with her ex and them. Yeah, just there. We have other queer folks 
in our close community who have children as well, or then other queer folks who don't have children, but who are kind of like the circle of like gunkles and aunties and uncles, <laughs> which is a term I learned. It's like non-binary aunt or uncle. Oh, wow. nice. I didn't even know that. Yeah. So Elias has an uncle who loves him very much. And um, yeah, so we, I feel held by that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that he will grow up not feeling weird or like abnormal or like there's something wrong with his family because he'll look out and be like, oh, yeah, well, our family is like this family and that family is different than our family. There's a but bunch like, of examples. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's amazing. What work did you have to do, Usia, like mm. to sort of prepare for this, prepare for this role, like this new role in life, right? Like this is, that is a identity you now hold, you know, for forever, like a mom, a mother. Yeah. And actually that really ties into your other question about what, uh, what I'm scared of. That's a big thing I'm scared of is like that I, anything, any shame or like lingering stuff that I have around being gay or like, or having a queer family or anything like that, that that could impact him in some way or that mm. he could, um, cause, cause even the way that I see the world, I don't want him to pick up on that and be like, oh, well, those people are going to hate us. Because sometimes I go out into the world like that. Somebody tells me they're a Christian and I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I'm going to put my guard up then, you know? And then, and so I, I don't want him to feel like unsafe with an entire group of people. Um, but at the same time, I'm also like, we might need to tread more carefully around certain groups of people who are historically known to be homophobic, like evangelicals right so um so there yeah that it just that just feels really tender because I want him to to know that he's loved and accepted by the world and also he's not totally like or our family isn't so like how do you I mean this I I wonder too Shawnee if this kind of relates back to like what you were talking about your experience of your mom being like ugh. I didn't yeah. think I was going to have to talk about this yet, but yeah. yeah, like. Yeah. I mean, I think that, well, A, I think that I was like a surprise. Um, but <laughs> like, you know, the, the planning, I think, you know, makes a bit of a difference, but at the end of the day, that's still nine months that like I was being carried around that she had to sort of process all of that. I, mm. I don't know. It's like. And it's definitely something that I think about as well, right? Like, it's sort of, like, twofold. The same way that it is probably for, well, twofold in the sense that, like, being Black and gay and knowing that the child that I'm going to have is going to be one of those things, which is Black, uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. And maybe tw- maybe both. But, like, it, right. at least one is going to be Black. It's like, okay, those are things that I can prepare for at any, like, time and point, you know? Like, that's going to happen. I think a lot of Black parents probably also have that thought and they're just like, well, Mm -hmm. the child I'm having is Black. This is my experience being Black. Like, this is what it's going to be. And I think that, I mean, that's also probably a whole other episode, but like, you have a a son, right? And that means by default, there's a lot of things that like he's not going to have to deal with. 
that you did and vice versa, right? That like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things he is going to have to deal with that you're probably going to have zero like idea of what it's like. Um, also boys, when they are like in their preteens are the worst. Like we're gross. We're disgusting. I just hope you're prepared for that. <laughs> I am not. I'm not. That's another thing I'm afraid of. When, you, like, when he gets oh, to that shit. age, talk to me about it. Like that's okay. what we can talk. <laughs> Um, as we start to close out here, um, one important question, like my last sort of like big important question, I guess, is how has all of this, um, impacted and influenced your practice and, you know, what you do for a living every single day? Oh, um, I mean, I think on a, on a practical level, it's impacted Like I just work a lot less and I'm a lot more stressed out (laughs) because I'm constantly like, and if I work from home, there's always a part of me that's like with him, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really worried that I wouldn't be able to be present with my clients, um, which isn't true. I've, I, I've somehow managed to like, I have this really solid therapist self that is still really present, (laughs) But everything else about me has changed. I feel like my my therapist self or my job is like the one thing that feels the same. Like yeah. I can, whereas like everywhere else in my life, my brain is a mess. I can't remember anything. I can't like function as well. Everything's less efficient. But when I'm in my like therapy seat, my therapist seat, my memory is great. My presence is great. Like I, so I'm relieved about that because <laughs> I was super worried about it, but I think it definitely, um, has impacted the way that I think about the inner child work that I do with my clients or the way that I think about, um, the attachment work that I do with them. It just, it has totally shifted my perspective and my understanding of what that's, what that's like on this really like intimate level. Like before I could, I could talk about how children should be treated or what should have happened for them when they were little, but now it feels like more personal to me, if that makes sense. Like it feels, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like teaching like embodied from like an, as like a, I don't know, from like a teacher standpoint, I'm thinking about it just from like, okay, there's a difference between like me teaching you a topic and then me teaching you a topic that I've like experienced and like, no, like actually no, like forwards and backwards. Yeah. Um, Which only enhances the experience I'm sure for your clients. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I'm out of questions. Allie, I don't know if you have any others, but, um, I you did a beautiful job. Yeah. I just, <laughs> yeah. I am so happy that you're back and you're, you were able to talk just about something new and fresh. We have not talked about yeah. kids or like children on this podcast, which says a lot about me and Maddie, I think. But, um, Thank you for sharing this. I I don't know. Like it it just feels refreshing. It feels new. Um and I don't know. I A, I think it's ridiculous. My takeaway is that it's ridiculous that the systems set up in this country are still operating the way they have, but also still not surprised. Um 
You know, it's yeah, yeah. They haven't updated the infrastructure in like fifty years. Of course, they're not thinking yeah. about how to change a name on a form. So it's whatever. That's ridiculous. But I'm still really happy. I think that I, I don't know. I'm wishing the best for you and your partner and for that baby Thank boy you. that you have. He is being raised by an excellent, excellent, amazing mother, uh, and I know Thank that he's going to be great. Well, then we'll take a break and come back and take some meds and then get up on up out of here. Um, we'll be back, listeners. Okay, we're back to take some meds. Um, so <laughs> as a new mother does, uh, Lucia had to run to go take care of that beautiful baby. So we Aww. we like have her meds um, that I guess we'll take on her behalf, kind of. We'll plug them in. Um, and that's how this will go. So I'll go first um, because I'm actually really excited about this. My meds this week are that I have my moving plan like figured out <gasps> like it's done Woo-hoo! yeah there's like there's sort of like a plan A and a plan B but they're both solid and um LA is I will be in LA no later than the weekend of uh, are y'all ready for this uh, January 7th that's a lot sooner than I thought. I know, I know. Well, it was supposed <laughs> to originally be December 16th. And then I was like, I do not have my shit together to move on December 16th. Yeah. Um, but then I got my shit together and I was like, oh, I could maybe move by December 16th or January 6th. It has to be one of those two dates. So Allie, I'll be down there with you soon. Oh very, very, very God. soon. Yay. And then Iris and Dan, shout out to Iris and Dan. Shout out. Here. And I think on like December fourth or something. The crew is getting together and I'm like it's happening. <laughs> ah! Um what are your what are your meds this week? So my meds, they were kind of unexpected, but um some friends from New York are here right now. They what? came to visit. Like it had been like talked about, but then all of a sudden like the plans like really got formed within the last like two weeks. Um and so it's just been really lovely showing them seeing them for the first time since I moved out of New York. Um, and then just like showing them uh, a couple of them. I've never been to LA before. So it's oh, just like very exciting to just be like, welcome to car culture. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it was like 90 degrees this weekend, which I was like, why? <laughs> like it didn't have to be at the top, but yeah, it's still been really lovely. And we've just been having a lot of fun drinking, eating, going to flea markets you know just all the good stuff and you're like this is a car you drive it everywhere (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i have this like teeny little ford focus and all five of us are like cramming into it (laughs) like here we go (laughs) it's like you're used to this you have a subway right like yeah so the subway during rush hour you'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh that's the best um we'll play lucia's meds um because she was gracious enough to share them with us my meds for this week have been a hundred percent Taylor Swift. <laughs> Ten minute version of All Too Well. Yes. Can't say I'm personally a Taylor Swift fan, but I, I appreciate that she helps other people get through. Therapy. Listen, I can <laughs> that I'm okay with. The, there's a lot that I'm not, but if that's what you need. <laughs> then you take it. You take what you need. Also, I'm best friends with somebody that loves Taylor Swift, and I don't know how that friendship is still working out, but they here we just, are. They just come out <laughs> of the woodwork. Like, you just, you don't expect, it's like people who are obsessed with Disneyland. You're like, wait, you're a Disneyland adult? 
Yeah. Like, but I, I thought I didn't like Disneyland adults, but I really like you. So let's just not talk about that part of you. Yeah. Can we just pretend that? <laughs> don't even tell me when you're going. That is so funny. I also have friends that like love Disney World or Disneyland. And I'm like, okay. I thought that that was, I've always thought that it was weird, but like I never yeah. said anything about it. I didn't realize that other people also thought it was weird. Okay, cool. We can, oh, yeah. we'll chat it's it up. Weird. Not to say that I like don't want to go to Disneyland. Like I'm like, no, I'll I go. would totally go. But it's, yeah, there is, I mean, everyone knows what we're talking about. There are adults who know way too much about Disneyland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if one of those people is not in your life, oh, they're there. They just haven't talked about it yet. <laughs> they're there, the you opportunity. just don't know. <laughs> yeah. They're just like the Taylor Swift fans. You just don't know until you know. Until and you know. And it changes the whole relationship. Um <laughs> So let's get up on, get on up out of here. I feel like, as you know, listeners, um, just bear with me because I've never had to close the podcast out before. Here we go. Share your experience doing the homework, even though there was none, <laughs> whatever meds you're <laughs> taking, um, and whatever you want, honestly. Um, you can email us at qbtpodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 971-220-8874. Um, you can also follow us on QBT Pod uh, on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. But don't follow us on Facebook because that's weird. You should follow us on Instagram at QBT Pod. Um, don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast out with all your loved ones. You're about to go into Thanksgiving very soon. Why not bond over QBT? It'll be sure to start a fight at the dinner table. <laughs> um, thank you to Marquis and Shanti Darling for letting us use their music every single episode. And Allie, I get to say this to you live. I get to say it to your face right now. Thank you for helping us edit every single week. I don't know what we would do without you. Of course. Um, you ready to go? You ready to get out of here um, and enjoy our yeah. Sunday nights? All right, we're leaving. Bye. Oh, Maddie will be back next week, y'all. I promise. Yes. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Bye. Mm-hmm. Try to talk slick all up in my ear and shit. <laughs>